Welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast about exploring and engaging with the natural world. I'm your host, Victor. In this episode, I'm interviewing freelance environmental educator Ginny Trower. Ginny runs workshops and after-school clubs focusing on early years groups. For those of you who are listening outside the UK, those are kids aged around four and five. Ginny talks us through some of her activities and shares her experiences with us. Welcome to the show, Ginny. Hi, Victor. Good, good to be here. So, Ginny, this is your first time on the show. Would you be able to introduce yourself to us? Okay. Um, my name's Ginny Trower, and I run nature workshops in, in nursery schools. I trained as a, a Montessori teacher and ran my own schools in London, Hertfordshire, and then Essex. We always had uh, lots of outside space, so that was always a very important part of our day. And I, I go into schools and do this and also run, run community gardening groups, gardening sessions. Now, before we dig into the workshops and activities that you run, would you be able to tell us a bit about yourself and what got you interested in nature? Okay, so um, I was brought up in the country and my earliest memory in relation to nature was this. At my primary school, we, we didn't have any cooking facilities, so we used to have to walk up the lane to a little cafe that was called Anne's Pantry, which is where we had our lunch. And I was probably, I don't know, four or five maybe. But on one of these walks, I started noticing uh, in the hedgerows what looked like spit on the grass. And I kept seeing this and walking past it and decided that I'd like to collect the spit and take it home. So I got a jam jar, I suppose, and put this spit into the jar. And when I got it home, I discovered after a few days that this spit seemed to turn into a creature. I then subsequently discovered this was called cuckoo spit and was created by an insect called a frog hopper. And the memory of this miracle is still with me and really got what got me started, I suppose, being interested in nature. It does. It really does look like someone's just been spitting in the grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's incredible. Did you do that too? Did you have you ever done that when you were small? Do you remember picking up cuckoo spit? No, I've always just left it where it was, but I'd be intrigued to try it, you know, c collect up a, a clump, a plant and raise it and see what comes out. Yeah, you do definitely need to do it. Yeah, it's really great. Really great. So when you think back on those early experiences, what was the role of adults in terms of uh, getting you interested in nature? Ah, well, in those days, we used to have things like a nature table. We always used to bring things in. Um, in my in my childhood, and we spent a lot of a lot of time outdoors. I suppose being in nature was just something that we did then, um, and it's become it's become so much more difficult in the last I suppose thirty thirty years with all the rules of health and safety, etc. Um, which is sort of one of one of the reasons that I really um, started running my 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 workshop. So we we moved to a, a small farm. And I, I went and did a degree as a mature student at our local agricultural college. Uh, the, the degree was environmental conservation because I wanted to know, uh, I wanted to be able to manage our, our land in an environmentally friendly way. Um, and after finishing that, um, this, this, one of the schools that I set up um, asked me if I'd be interested in setting up a wildlife area in their school garden to celebrate their 15th anniversary. And this seemed like such a great opportunity. So I set to work creating a pond and a mound and raised beds and a water butt and started working with the children outside in their in their garden. I'd sort of given up, I'd stopped teaching because I, I was sick of all the health and safety and all the admin. 
And doing the degree sort of gave me the confidence to um, email a few schools saying, look, I've done this degree. Would you be interested in me coming to do sort of nature and uh, nature in your in your schools? And if I hadn't done the degree, even though what I do, you don't need a degree for, um, it, it just gave me the confidence to say, I, I know what I'm talking about a bit more than if I hadn't if I hadn't done that degree. Thinking now about the programs that you run, what would you say is the most popular thing that you do with schools or groups? So just going back a tiny bit, um, after start setting up the wildlife area with, in this in this particular school, this became a sort of weekly exercise, and I started to I, I sort of started thinking, right, how can I make this subject interesting to these four year olds? You know, this whatever was happening and outside in nature, how can I have a make a session out of out of this? Um, so I plan the I plan the topic based on the seasons and, and and their interests, and because the children were very young, sort of three to five, the lessons had to be short and interesting enough to captivate their their attention. It also ideally needed to involve some sort of artwork for them to take home to their parents. So any parent will know that when they're when they ask their child what they've done at school today, they'll either say nothing or I don't know or I can't remember. So the artwork um, took many forms relating to the session that day, but the purpose, apart from the enjoyment and that children need to see and, and do things for it to be really enjoyable, was to share with their parents so they could tell them what we'd been doing that morning. And the sessions were designed to last 30 minutes or so with the option of them being able to continue uh, with the activity in, in their own way. But as far as the most popular program, um, I think the one that I, I love most and that the, the children really enjoy is the is making is making bird birds nests. So we have two sessions for that. We have the first one where I take in some nests and uh, toy birds, and we look at all the different things that you need to uh, make a nest with. And then in this, and we collect all these things. We go around the garden collecting all these things, and then and then the second session is. What I love most is that we then I then point out that on all these twigs there is lichen growing. Most of these twigs that we pick up, and that birds scrape the lichen off the twigs and use it in their nests. And so, somehow it's it's so fascinating because these small children would never have really hardly ever come across a child who who knows what lichen is. Understandably, they're only three and four, but suddenly they they notice the lichen. They understand what it is. And they then come into school the following week with a twig saying, look, 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 I've found some lichen on my twig. So it's sparking that interest in something that they really were completely sort of unaware of, of before. I suppose that one, that is my one of my favourite sessions. I do always find those moments really rewarding when you point something out to them and, you know, they start noticing it everywhere because it's, it's always been there. They've just never noticed it before. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating. So back to that bird nest program, you mentioned that you plan things to go along with the season. That The nest program, is that something that you run only in spring or is that something that you want run oh, no. year-round? No, no, I do it, I do it, I do it in uh, probably mm, February, March. I have a, a really um, cool bird puppet and what the, the first part of the program of the session is um, the bird puppet is 
collecting things, which I've collected. I have a, a box and she picks up things. So she picks up twigs and she puts them in front of her and then she picks up some wool and some leaves and all these things. She puts all these things together and the children are all watching this going on. And then um, in my other hand, I the bird sits on the nest, this bird puppet, and I've I've blown an egg. Uh, you know about blowing eggs, but I've blown an egg and I I, I hide it underneath the, the bird because I then say to the children that you know what what has she been doing all this time with all these twigs and leaves, and some of them know and some of them don't. And I put the egg underneath her, and then say well, she's been sitting here for twenty eight days and. And then I lift her up and there's the egg. And and that's all a bit of a miracle because suddenly there's an egg there that wasn't there before. And it, 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 they can visually see that this is what the nest is all about for, for putting eggs into it. Um, so that that definitely would be uh, uh, sort of March. Um, because apart from anything else, if you're walking, unless you take the props with you, i.e. the feathers and the leaves, you could walk around your your garden and find nothing that's really suitable for a nest. Um, so at that time of year, you you frequently find feathers and bits of fluff and things that birds birds are actually using to make their nest with. I use a lot of soft toys in my sessions. So I have a a toy a squirrel puppet and you know frogs and spiders and virtually everything that's um, uh, uh, that is hedgehogs. Um, is, is is necessary for, for particularly for this age group but actually all all the things that I do I've also done with older children and community groups and children up to 11 all seem to enjoy doing that particular activity. Do you find that they all respond in the same way to that bird puppet all the way up to that age 11? They, they do even the older ones uh, I, I mean some children can be scared of puppets but this is not a scary puppet it's a quite a wacky um, ridiculous it's not it really it's quite a ridiculous looking bird but but they it, it it has a beak you can open and shut its beak so that's obviously quite good because it, because when I'm demonstrating she is picking up with her beak um, the various things that she's using to make her nest with that's so interesting to hear because I think a lot of educators would shy away from using things like puppets with that older age group I mean, I think if I was doing it with a class, I would be very nervous of doing it with a class, a whole class of seven-year-olds plus maybe. But but the fact is that when I do it with older children, I've got younger ones too. And I, I'm always very aware of think, of them thinking, oh, well, this is all rather babyish. But actually, my experience is that that it's not, that they they want to try the puppet on, they want to do it themselves, you know, they want to try being the puppet Um you said they ask if they can be the puppet. Do you do you let them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's great. Not the little ones. The little ones wouldn't, but the older children would. Um, and especially if you know if you've got a group and they they maybe come with a sibling, you know that's fun for their for the the older sibling to to be the bird. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, it's interesting. Sounds like such a wonderful program. So, what would you say is your absolute favorite activity to run? The activity. So um, I love making compost and learning about different soils. So making compost is a great one because um, I ask the parents in advance to bring in some things that you could compost. And then I, I find my uh, mankiest, rankiest, rankiest sort of apple that's covered in mold or something that really looks revolting. And I go in and we, we, we start putting in all the, all the sort of into a, a, they each have their own pot. 
um, we start putting in sort of the leaves and um, maybe the, the crushed eggshell and, and little bits of carrot peeling. And then they all stir it around and they add water. And then and then I say, and, and even you can even compost this, look at this. And they all go, oh, yeah, that's disgusting. And you, I say, you know, would you, do you want to eat this? And they say, no, oh, no. And so we put it into the, um, the and then I say, do you want, do you all want a bit of this uh, manky, moldy sort of apple? And they normally all want a bit to put into their, into their compost pot. And because they love squishing it up and mixing it all around. Um, so obviously learning about soil is very important. So we, we make, we make compost and, and they really uh, enjoy doing that. I don't, I don't very often see the parents. So a few years ago, I asked them to um, give me some feedback on my, on my session so that I, I wanted to, although I can see the children enjoy it, I wanted to um, make sure that from the parents' perspective that it, it was sort of what um, they were hoping their children would do. And, and I got, I got really lovely feedback um, that, you know, their child talks about planting and growing. Everything has been full of joy and positive. William recently explained to me in great detail where soil comes from. Uh, Ted especially liked being a squirrel and finding nuts. So with my squirrel, I they all hide nuts under the I with the squirrel puppet, pick up the nuts and hide them in the soil. What do the kids do with the compost that they make? Do they take it home with them? Do you have a big compost heap that they add it to? So so sometimes they, they can take it home if they want to. So going back to the idea of them wanting to take something home, if you try and sometimes if you try and say we're going to leave it here because we're going to turn it in, we're going to put it on the compost heap they'll say oh well I want to take it home but on the whole you'll certainly have some children who will leave it there so we leave it there and then each week we we look at it see if it's changed and we stir it around and I've got these quite uh, cool uh, bottles with they're like watering cans except they're in a a, a reused a plastic bottle where I make holes in the lids so you, the children very small children can squeeze the water out and and they learn about the fact that compost heaps need compost needs to be to have liquid on it so putting a little bit of water in each week so it doesn't get too dry mixing it all up with a stick and then we put it on um we made a compost heap in the school so we, we put it on the compost heap and um and then eventually that compost is obviously used on the garden so this is something that you go into schools uh, weekly to do yeah i go every week and and that's the for me that's really important because uh, as I say working for other organisations like the RSPB doing one off projects is is obviously fantastic doing school trips is great but I feel very strongly that that, ch- that that children need to have the continuity of being with somebody who's enthusiastic about their subject um, and be, be, get building a relationship with them so I get to know the children I go and every week for, for a term um, I get to know them all really well and that's for me is very very important uh, you can't obviously build any sort of relationship with with anybody if you're just going in once a once a term uh, that's not possible um, but I've also uh, I've also worked in after school um, clubs uh, in, in inner city schools where going back to your question about the older children using those puppets um that those children were obviously primary school children up to 11 and they i i tried although after school they really just want to run around the garden and not have any sort of structure i would for part of the session i would do a little bit of 
one of my 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 these activities I'm mentioning, and they, without fail, they they were fascinated and and really enjoyed doing those. Yeah, that weekly program, I I can see it be really good for something like compost, um, because that's something that you can't really speed up to fit within, you know, a, a half hour hour session. So to have it be weekly, they can see that change over time. Yeah. So of all the different activities and things that you do with kids, what would you say is the most effective in terms of promoting pro-environmental attitudes, you know, developing that positive relationship with nature? Uh, Making compost is a really good one. Making animal homes, learning about where creatures live um, and how we we can protect their homes, make their homes, just look how to look after them. You know, young children are very, they're very naturally interested in insects. So when you're talking about making a, for example, animal home, we make them with, um, well, we either make big ones with twigs or we make um, the insect homes with a cow parsley. It's, it's when the cow parsley is, when you cut cow parsley, it has a hollow stalk. And so we, we, they, they, they love that, that, that activity. And that's all about looking after creatures. So I think making animal homes is, is, is a good one. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you run the animal homes activity? Insect homes, I would start off with, as I had mentioned before, I've got all these uh, toy, toy, toy creatures. So I would um, lay them all, the ladybird, the spider, the uh, grasshopper, and I'd lay them all on the table and we'd discuss the names and talk to them about where they think those creatures live and then and then tell them that a lot of creatures like hiding under things so that they can be safe um so we would then so we'd have a little chat about that um we then i would then say right now we're going to go and see if we can uh, find some a good place for uh, for a creature to hide and we then go off into the field and we take some scissors, um, we cut down the cow parsley, which is frequently four times bigger than them. Um, uh, obviously, supervise the scissors carefully. Um, and then they, they carry these this cow parsley back to the shed. Um, they love that bit because the cow parsley is so big, it's like carrying a huge tree. And then, and then they cut the cow parsley, the huge stems up into um, short sticks which we then stuff into a flower pot um, with maybe some moss so it doesn't all collapse. And then we hang it up um, in the school garden uh, or they take it home. Um, and in, in an ideal world, we leave it at school or at home and then they look in it in a, a, a few months' time and find that something is, is living in there. And that's very satisfactory. Where do you find the materials like cow parsley? Do you find them all around the school grounds? Well, it is, yeah. If 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 it's not there, then obviously I I, I pick it up and take it in. Um, it's not as effective, but if I pick very long um, stalks, then that works too. Um, so I just have to, when I know what the school environment is, I know that there's no cow basket there, so I know I have to take take it in. Um, but obviously, it's best if you if they can go and find it, and look and look for it, um, because it's interesting also. It, the cow parsley flower is quite similar to elderflower. So 
so it's another way of showing them that there are a lot of things that look the same that aren't. Uh, and some of those white umbellifers are, are poisonous, so you have to be careful and you, you shouldn't really do it without an adult. Um, so, yeah, I take it. If, if I know it's not there, then I take it with me. Yeah, so being familiar with what's in the school grounds is is quite important. Yeah, yeah. If I was going to do a one-off visit to a school, um, I would obviously go and do a recce of their grounds and see what they had there. How long does the whole activity take? You're talking about the creatures, you're having a look around, um, and then you're making the materials. I reckon it's 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 twenty to thirty minutes, probably probably thirty, but including activity, sometimes longer. Completely depends on on them, but obviously they're very little and so their concentration is very limited. It, it would last older, longer with older children um, and you could put more detail into it. But with the small little ones, you you have to make it short and sweet, really. It works well with, with five, six, seven-year-olds too. The, the, the age that I find most interesting is, is the three to five-year-olds. I, I love their enthusiasm um they 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 soak everything up they're like little sponges and for me i think that the the first 7 years of of life is is crucial and the early learning experiences you you have then um will be with you um, forever what do you think it is about the session that makes it so effective i think the variety of the variety of things the the collecting things the they love using scissors um, on cutting up stalks rather than just cutting up bits of paper, which is what they do in, in school. Um, actually cutting something real that's come from outside. The other thing they love cutting is grass. When I do a, a topic on grass, they just love cutting the grass. We do a, a topic on um, grass flowers. And again, that's something that they would never have noticed. In fact, lots of adults don't know that grass has flowers. So we, we go around collecting the grass, the different grass flowers, which they look at, and then they, they cut them up, and they, they love doing that. That's quite a lot easier than cutting the cow parsley stalks, but they love, they love snipping it, and it jumps across the table, and they think that's hysterically funny. And I just love the, simple, the simpleness of what makes them laugh. It's just great. So it's using a tool, and little kids do love just cutting up pieces of paper. I could see them... Uh, then enjoying, you know, cutting up these little stems and things. I wonder if it's like a, a difference in texture. And uh, imagine that helps with developing their fine motor skills as well. Yeah, it does. And, and, and obviously a lot of those four-year-olds aren't able to use scissors, so <clears throat> so you have to help them. But but that's quite magical. So, you know, I'll hold the cow parsley stalk and I'll tell them to hold their, the scissors with two hands and open and shut them. And the sense of achievement that they feel afterwards is is great you know they they can see that they've managed to cut this this stalk and so that's very rewarding seeing their seeing their confidence grow and their skills grow is 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 wonderful do you think doing these kinds of sessions changes the kids uh relationship to insects or nature i i can only tell you what the the feedback from the parents was which for, for all those that replied, said that they they the children love the sessions and they take more interest in growing or looking for things outdoors. And I can only it's only by getting feedback from the parents really that I can 
I can find out those things. Obviously, I, I, I know the children love coming to my sessions. Um, so I can see that they're enthusiastic. And, and I've always, I started asking parents for feedback because I, I wanted to know whether doing these sessions um, and the, the children I have, I have for at least a year. So I go into the school for the whole school year and have the same children. After a year of running my sessions with them, will that last them indefinitely? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I'm always wanting to follow up and, and do a research project. Um, but I, I do know that um, being in nature is, 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 is it's crucial that they, they, they enjoy it um, early on. Um, and that's, that's how I feel. Yeah, it's certainly borne out in the research that I'm uh, aware of that spending time in nature, having an adult there who's interested and supportive is really significant in developing that attachment, that valuing of nature. Yeah. And there's certainly room in the field for research into this. It's it's something that's really lacking in environmental education is, you know, a good robust long-term study of the impact of these different kinds of experiences. So for those who might be interested in getting started in, in running an after-school club or something like that, could you talk to us a little bit about how you got started? How did you build up relationships with schools? Well, I started by, as I said, I started um, <clears throat> with the school that I, I set up in, in a village called Ugly, called the Ugly Duckling. And I, I, I started there with doing the wildlife garden and then that sort of extended to every week and then I thought I, I had a really boring part-time job um, sort of doing my farm admin and I thought I don't want to be doing this why don't I get someone to do this and I will much rather just be in schools every day so I emailed I just sent an email out to all the local Montessori schools and said this is what I'm doing are you interested and and they they said yes and so at one point I was doing um, Five schools a week, which actually was a, was a, a little bit much because obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And you've got to do the lesson plans, and I've now, as I say, been doing it for ten years, so everything's quite. I've got all the lesson plans. I, I know what I'm doing. Um, every term, I try and do something a different one because um, I think of some other. I come up with some other idea with uh, what what you can do with a, for example, a dandelion, um, and um, so. The frustrating thing, as as you know, is that there, there isn't much money in environmental education. They, they all the schools that I've visited are, are sort of running on on very limited resources. So you mentioned that you were a trained Montessori school teacher, and so you were using that to kind of approach schools cold. Yes, I, yes. I think the I think the fact that I said. You know, I'm a Montessori trained teacher and I'm now doing these nature workshops sort of helped. Um, and and then I, I did do quite a long time. I was giving talks to teachers, um, Montessori teachers about what I what I do um, in, in schools. And, and so sort of spreading the word like that and, and enabling teachers to do this themselves, because my experience is that a lot of um, a lot of teachers um, in their early in their 20s and 30s um don't don't know so much about outdoors they 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 don't know the names of trees or uh, so they 
you, you know, you don't want to teach something you don't feel confident about, do you? So, so you you need to know all that, you need to know all those things and be interested in them. So you would also do teacher inset days then? Yeah, I did teach. Oh, yes, I, I did. I did for 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 about a year. I I was going to. They were all Montessori schools, so the Montessori network has a. Uh, they had a system of if you were doing something new, um, for example, uh, a different type of sort of painting or whatever, then they'd all they'd say, "Oh, yes, that sounds interesting. I'd like. Could you come to my school and show us what you're doing?" So that's what I did. Um, and I took all my bo- I, I took all my boxes. Each each box was a lesson, and I I shared with them what I was what I was doing, and hoping that they would then be able to do that themselves. Essentially, yeah. I had been doing the the workshops in schools for uh, at least eight years, I suppose, before I started doing the workshops for teachers. I think you need to have been do- you need to feel quite confident that what you're doing is uh, is going to be interesting. I mean, when I was first asked, I thought, oh. Gosh, this is quite terrifying. You're going into a school with a whole load of other teachers who probably know more than I do, and you're uh, you're you're telling them what you're doing, and you, so it's a little bit nerve wracking because you you could be turning up and they're, them all saying, "Well, I've done that. Yeah, I know about that. I, I, I've done that before." For example, making bird cake is something that everybody does now. Okay. Um, I, I I do it in a slightly different way in that I use an, uh, an orange or a lemon. But, you know, for forever and a day, schools would be making bird cake to hang out for the birds. So I tended to focus on the ideas that I'd, or, or, or most of the ideas that I use, I've sort of invent, invented myself, apart from obviously the um, bird cake and a few other things. So in theory, they, they, they would, they were all, most of the ideas were new to them, so that was obviously interesting. I hope, and I got I got great feedback. So that, and I suppose I wouldn't have been asked to go into any of the other schools if the feedback had not been not been positive. How much focus do you have on the curriculum, or is it that you start with what's seasonal and relevant, and then the curriculum comes in after that? It's really some. Sometimes I'm asked if I can link it to the curriculum. Um, I certainly would do that then. Um, otherwise, it really is more about what's what's going on in nature, and I think that everything that I do would be linked to the curriculum. I mean, it's with a baby, with the little ones, it's you know counting shapes, colours. Obviously, I do a lot of counting. One of the this time of year, uh, when the pussy willow comes out, I mean that's the most beautiful thing that small children may not have seen, um, and pulling pulling the little. Um, fluffy pussy willows off the stalk is is a counting activity so length size heavy uh, one of the really really easy um, activities that I do which again would definitely be part of the national curriculum is about floating and sinking um, where I collect a whole load of acorns and the children are given a, a cup with which where they squirt water into it and I give them an acorn and and I give them an acorn that floats and an acorn that sinks. And the relevance of that is that the acorn that sinks is one that if you planted it, it might well grow, whereas the one that floats won't. Um, it's either hollow, it's not good. And that's very, very, and then we would plant the sinking acorn. So um, it's a very simple activity that anybody can do. You just have to find the right, you have to collect the right number of sinking and floating acorns. 
I had no idea that there was a difference between acorns and floating and sinking and how well they grew. That's amazing. That's definitely something I need to try out. Um, and actually, I was somewhere the other day, I can't remember where it was, where suddenly somebody said exactly this. So, well, um, you know, if you plant the sinking acorn, it's more, it, it will grow if, if it has all the best chances, rather than the floating one, which won't. So try it. Give it a try. Give it a try, Victor. You, you can uh, try it yourself. Oh, I think I will do. It's fascinating. I mean, I've had something that I've wanted to do for a long time, which is basically grow a bonsai tree. And oak trees are, are one that's really bonsaiable. So every so often in the autumn, I will pick up an acorn or two, but then I never get around to planting it. So this year, I think. Although I do get squirrels that come to my patio and they drop off like acorns and, and peanuts. And so every so often I'll find one of these sprouting. So one of these days I'll bonsai one of those. Well, I have the opposite problem. I have so my shed is full of nuts and seeds and all those things and moss and feathers and so I have a big problem with mice uh, who love my shed because there's some there's so many delicious things to eat and so many great hiding places. Uh, so I have to keep my my acorns in my house uh, so <laughs> so that the mice and the squirrels don't don't get to them first. Yeah. One of the other activities I would do right at this time of year is to make a snowdrop garden and uh, teach them that if I have a lot of snowdrops here on the farm, so I would take in a, a huge clump of snowdrops and show them how the snowdrops just multiply and, and you sort of do need to divide them up. So you can have one clump of snowdrops, but when you pull them apart, you have, I did this yesterday with um, uh, some children who live here, socially distance, obviously, and um Obviously, they didn't know that, that all these little snowdrops had babies, baby bulbs. And they literally had one clump and they pulled, there were 70, 70 bulbs, um, which then I would plant. And obviously, they will then all grow and have babies. And so that's how you spread your snowdrops. Um, they all really need dividing up after a little while because they multiply like crazy. Yeah, and it is the time of year to deal with that. So if, if anyone's listening in, it's it's not too late to deal with bulbs. If you've got, you know, big clumps of um, daffodils even, now's the time where you can actually still, if you're gentle, dig them up and split up those really big, dense clumps. And in later years, that'll actually help them flower better because they can get a bit too squished together and they won't bloom well. So you can still deal with them. Well, Ginny, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing some of the uh, activities and workshops that you do with those very young kids. Thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Victor. It was, it was absolutely great. And, and um, I hope that, um, that you'll, you'll get lots of other people doing the same thing. That'd be just wonderful. So if you're listening in and you're based in the Hertfordshire area and you'd like to get in touch with Ginny, check out our show notes where you'll find uh, her contact details and a link to her website as well. As always, full show notes can be found at our website, which is knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. Get in touch with us at knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at kn underscore podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>